We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Looking at the, the subject or the question, is my salvation really forever? <laughs> wow. So first, <laughs> so first of all, this is a meeting of sons. This is not an evangelistic meeting. This is not a crusade to save the lost. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? This is not a revival meeting for those of you to rededicate your lives to Christ or for those of you to give your lives to Christ a 26th time. We have some people who are professionals in giving their lives to Christ. And then after a while, when you have done it like 29 times, and then they call another altar call in a revival, you now start to ask yourself, so by now, the amount of life I've given to Christ is supposed to be enough now. So you now wait for the second altar call. But eventually you are here, you have given your life to Christ, but you have backslid. And you know that you need to rededicate. You're like, okay, yes, I cannot join this one. Has it happened to anybody? Is it just me? After a while, you advise yourself that, no, I've given my life to Christ enough. So I should not still be coming. And you still be feeling guilty. You still feel like, Kai, it is me. The trumpet sounds now. Pa. Now like this. Will I make the rapture? After a while, you now try to convince yourself that I think I've given my life to Christ enough. So you now... And even th- that day, that altar call, the 29th or the 30th altar call, when you're deciding, no, I'm going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, I'm not going to go out. You still felt guilty. And then the pastor is saying, you know, today, today, tomorrow might be too late. You're like, oh, Jesus, Abbasi. Yeah. But you, you talk because your hope is that there's a part two of the altar call. So you try and hold on long enough for part one to pass. And part one gets really intense when no other person is coming to give their life to Christ. Because it makes the pastor look like his gospel was not powerful enough. So the pastor steps up the pressure so that somebody can respond, so that he too can say he won a soul for the Lord in that service. And so he will press and press and press. What if you go out now and a car hits you and you die? Where would you spend your eternity? You'll be like, oh... Just pass this one. Just pass this one. Eventually, he now looks and nobody's coming. Or two people, he now goes to plan B. Paraventure, you are here. You know, it always starts with paraventure. Paraventure, you're here. And you have given your life to Christ. But you have not been faithful with the Lord. You have, you have been lukewarm. You have not been praying as much as you ought to. You have not been reading the Bible as much as you ought to. You have not been faithful in service. Your love for the Lord has waxed cold. And you, you need to rededicate. So we're not telling you to give your life to Christ. We know you have given him, but the life you have given him is now, is now blunt. So you need to rededicate that life to him. You're, you're not saying, okay, well, make you no know, become sinner pride. You know, I didn't give him life. I didn't rededicate. Let me at least rededicate so I can warm, microwave the life a little bit. 
So this is not a meeting about you giving your life to Christ or dedicating your life to Christ. This is a meeting for believers. This is a believers teaching meeting. Do you hear what I said? This is a believers teaching meeting. If you came here and you're an unbeliever, strap up in the midst of all that's going on. It will slap you left, right, and center. And then you realize that you too, you're not a sinner. Somewhere during the meeting, you will just dawn on you that the only person judging you is yourself. Nobody is judging. God does not judge or condemn anybody for what he condemned Jesus for. He doesn't do that. John 3.15, see what Jesus is saying. Jesus says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, go on to 16, quickly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not come to condemn. Verse 18. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Who condemned the person that did not believe? Himself. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, the world, not the church, the world through him might be saved. So he that believes is not condemned. He that does not believe is condemned already. In other words, you're not waiting for the last day. God will now say, hey, 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 depart from me. You work. No, you condemned yourself already. God is not in the business of condemnation. There is therefore now. Romans 8, right? There's therefore now. Maybe there was then. We don't know. And honestly, right now, we, we don't care. For now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So if you're here and you're an unbeliever, it's just a switch that's required. It's nothing. Just a switch. You don't need to confess your sins. You don't need to feel guilty. You, don't to, you just need to realize that my sins too were paid for. Among the people that God is not mad at, I'm included. And then before the end of the meeting, you just switch. That's all. No altar call, no special prayer, no say these words after me. You just, in your head, you just switch. And the moment you switch, the Spirit of God comes alive on your inside. And you're like us. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. So this is a believer's teaching meeting. I believe we're gathered and we're speaking to sons. Is that alright? So I will talk at a level as though addressing sons. Alright? So this, because we're dealing with sons, we're not dealing with issues of, is God real? Is the Bible real? You know, is there even such a thing as the Holy Spirit? No, we're, we're dealing with sons. Yeah? We know that in the beginning, God. Hmm? Hmm. In the beginning, God. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. Yeah? We know that all scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3 is inspired by God, profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, equipped unto every good work. We understand that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and will be held his glory. So we are in a believer's gathering. When it believes a believer's meeting. This is an upper room experience. So that's the basis on which we are going. This is a meeting for sons. So we're taking off on a particular level. Is that all right? Thank you, Holy Spirit. What an atmosphere. What an atmosphere. Second Timothy 1 verse 9 and 10. Who has saved us 
and called us with a holy calling. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. So we are not called to become holy. The believer does not become holy. The believer arrives holy. For whom he called, he also... So at the moment he called you, election it is called, and your response by faith to that election, you enter holiness. It's not a process. Holiness is not a dress you get after you have... You know, when I was in secondary school, uh, when I got into JS1, JS1 to JS3 in the school I went to, we had um, brown khaki shorts and green, dark green short sleeve shirts, right? And then SS1 and SS2, you had short sleeve green shorts, um, green um, shirts and white trousers. And then SS3, you had long sleeve green shirts and of course, white trousers. So at every point in time, we always knew who was who. And your biggest dream was to survive this crazy boarding school long enough to go from brown khaki to white trouser. But in the era of the law, some of us found grace. I will tell you what I mean. I was some kind of kid. So I was in the Jets club. So we used to go for debates a lot. You know, I was in this in the civil society, I was in the band, you know, I, I was the only musician with two of us actually who played instruments in the entire school at the time. So and every time we went to represent the school, guess what we have to wear? White trouser. In your face, senior student. So JS1 proud boy. JS1 first them. Stay rocking white trousers. And so my seniors are angry. They are fuming. They are red. And then I travel. I hardly spent weekends in school. And then I come back at maybe 1 a.m. on Sunday night. And then one of my, my, my lecturers or teachers is walking me back to my hostel. We get there and we're knocking on the gate of my hostel for my house captain. In SS3. My house captain is opening the door for a fox. They call JS1 students foxes. For a fox. A nobody. And they look at you. And before he's going to get angry, you're wearing what he's wearing. White trousers, long sleeve, green shirt, JS1, first term. So when you see or hear that Noah found grace, what it means is that everybody in Noah's time was wearing brown khaki shorts. Noah appeared wearing white trousers. David appeared wearing white trousers. Long sleeve. David had plus face cap, plus tie, plus waistcoat. Plus napkin. Because David, you notice David loved the law, but didn't live under it. We are called with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time. Oh my God. It was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Christ Jesus before time. Christ Jesus before time began. This purpose and grace enabled that God gave us salvation in Christ Jesus before time. And so I say to you, and they call me blasphemous, that every sin sinned meets a price paid. The price for sin was paid before the first sin was committed. Because this was given to us 
in Christ Jesus before time began. Christ Jesus before time. Given to us, for us, in Christ before time. Let's finish this. But has now been revealed by the appearing. Mark that word appearing. I'll come to it shortly. That thing we have had before time has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Savior is the word soter. We'll come to that from which you get the word soteria. We'll come to that in a bit. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It was given to us in Christ before time began, but now has been revealed to us. So now we appropriate it by the appearance of Christ Jesus. I can't wait to get to that word, appearance. We're going to deal with it. But I'm just laying foundations. Is that all right? Yeah? Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? You see the word again, appearing. It was revealed to us in Timothy by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mark the word appearing, right? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? So there is no man in men to whom the grace of God has not appeared. Even, can I tell you this? Even those who have not yet heard the gospel, the grace of God, and when grace appears, what does it bring? Salvation. Appeared to how many men? Go back to that scripture, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Jesus we just saw in Titus 2.11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. We see in 2 Timothy that this that has been given to us in Christ has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Timothy, Jesus Christ appeared, revealing salvation. In Titus, grace that brings salvation, appears. But who is grace? Jesus appeared. Grace appeared. So grace is not just a virtue. Grace is a person. When grace appeared, it was Christ that, that appeared. When Christ appeared, it was grace that appeared. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards man, the word kindness is the same word grace in the Greek, charis. So you can say here, but when the grace and the love of God, our Savior towards man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you see, Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, our Savior. God, grace. Jesus, grace. Grace, God. Savior, God. 
Savior, Jesus. So Paul speaking in Acts and saying that, you know what, uh, telling the, the elders, he said, please look after the flock among you, you know, circumspectly, as those that God purchased with his own blood, the blood of God. Do you understand? The blood of Christ is the blood of God. Because Christ is the God you could relate with. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why we struggle with the salvation understanding. The problem with us accepting salvation in its fullness is we are trying to limit it into our small myopic viewpoint. You don't understand the magnanimity of salvation. That God, 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 the God that you fear, God left and came and became man to die for man. That we're even arguing the quality or volume of what God did is appalling. It just shows that we don't understand the scope of it. If you grasp the scope of what God did, God died. Life died. Life. Not just life giver. Life died. That I might have life and have it in abundance. I now have the life of God. Let's finish that text. We're going to verse 7. We're in Titus chapter 3 from verse 4 to 7. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which you've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. 7 and the last verse. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope. So, as we begin to address the, 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 the question, is my salvation really forever? First of all, of course, we need to establish what salvation is, the range of salvation, but the scope of salvation. Then we'll go into a particular element that the definition of salvation will highlight, and that element is, the, and is very crucial. That element is the element of preservation, which will then bring up for you that recent exhortation, Christ our preservative. That will highlight that. And then in the third part of this teaching series, we will now look at the arguments against eternal security. The arguments against, the arguments why your salvation could not possibly be forever or eternal. And then in the last part in verse 4, we will then close the arguments. Make sense? One after the other. Pick the arguments close them, and then hopefully pull it together for, that one, for everyone. Is that okay? So let's begin to look at the word salvation. And this will help somebody and excite somebody. So yeah, we'll look at the word salvation. And you'll be, you'll be shocked at what you find. You'll be, you'll be shocked at what you find. Maybe, maybe begin to appreciate better what you have. All right, so in the Old Testament, the word for salvation is the Hebrew word yesha. Y-E-S-H-A. I said this is a believer's teaching meeting, right? Old Testament Hebrew word, yesha, and that is from the root word, yasha, which means deliverance. So, yasha, which is the word from which you get salvation, it means deliverance. Did anybody hear me? That's the first word, though. That's the first meaning of the word, yasha. The first meaning of yasha is deliverance, and I'll deal with that word shortly. It also means, yasha also means rescue, safety, welfare. It gets more interesting. Help. To save, to gain the victory, security, prosperity, salvation. Now, the grace of God that brings deliverance, rescue, help, safety, victory, 
Security. Prosperity has appeared to all men. The New Testament word for salvation, of course you all know now, is the word soteria or soterios. In the Greek, which is the language in which the New Testament was written, soteria or soterios are from the Greek root word soter, S-O-T-E-R. Okay? Soter. The word soter in the Greek means savior, Jesus Christ. So soter is only used in relation to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Are we together? The word soter, S-O-T-E-R. That's the root word from which you get soteria or soterios. Make sense? Soter just simply means savior in direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sense? So when Timothy says, by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, it is appearance of soter, Jesus Christ. Make sense? Then when he starts to act, do acts of salvation, then the verb of it is sozo. Yeah? S-O-Z-O. I said it's a believer's teaching meeting. Soter, Greek root word, from which you get the word soteria, which means salvation, or soterios. Now let's look at what soteria means in the Greek and see if it's any different from what yasha means in the Hebrew. Soteria or soterios means God's salvation, deliverance, welfare, prosperity, preservation. Safety. It also means God's rescue, which delivers believers out of destruction and into his safety. God's rescue, which delivers believers out of destruction and into his safety. So I said that salvation is from and unto. Deliverance from four Ps. Deliverance from the penalty, from the power, from the presence, and from the pleasure of sin. So when you say you have soteria, what do you have? My next question. When you have deliverance, what do you lack? Why are you going for deliverance as a department that is not included in salvation? Why are you going for deliverance as, an, as a standalone ministry? As though you get salvation and after you get salvation, then you need deliverance. Why are you preaching, preaching prosperity as a message? As though you can be saved, but then you need special anointing to prosper. So we now have what they, what they call the prosperity gospel, which is another gospel, which is not another. You have a special grace to see people secure. You have an anointing for security. I thought salvation includes it. So when you have a salvation, what do you have? You've said it now. You understand it now. When you have salvation, what do you lack? If you lack nothing, if you have salvation, what do you need? So, so it's important to understand and get straight what salvation is. Because when you have this, it's a complete package. Complete. It's not a fairly used phone. That you buy and then go and be looking for a compatible charger. 
So you buy the accessory, you buy the earpiece, then you buy a charger, then you buy the cable, and then you find the Bluetooth headset that is compatible with your phone. And then you now start looking for screen guard, depending on what kind of phone you're using. And after you've bought a phone of X amount of money, screen guard will now be making a mess of you, depending on what kind of phone you use. You have to settle for a screen guard that is close, but not quite the match of your phone. Then comes the issue of the case. The quandary is never ending. It takes you a few months to settle into your phone. As if you are building a house. And we think of salvation as something that God gives you and he withheld the accessories. So it's now up to you to start to hustle. To arrange the compatible charger. To arrange the earpiece. The screen guard. The case. The cable. The Bluetooth headset. And then this one. The battery. After a while, the screen is bad. You realize you bought a phone that we don't have spare parts. What kind of God will give you a gift that is not self-sustainable? Why will he bother giving you a gift if the working of it is up to you? So he gives you something, but then you need to now hustle to complete it. Because it it's expensive. You know that the price Jesus paid was a lot. It's expensive. It's just not expensive enough. By the time the blood, the last drop of blood dropped on the cross, your charger was not included, unfortunately. So you have to manage the salvation as it is now. And then no charger. You have to now go and meet some prophet, a human being, to give you what God in Christ could not give you. You now need to run after a man of God to complete what the God of man could not complete. Then the man of God should actually be the God. And the God should be the man. And then we start to hustle and go up and down, shop to shop, market to market, looking for accessories because what God gave you is not complete. Church after church, pastor after pastor, revival after revival, crusade after crusade, meeting after meeting, fasting after fasting, prayer after prayer, sowing seed after sowing seed. But adventure, we might find a compatible charger for this thing that God gave us that is not complete. Then Jesus has to repent for having the audacity to scream, it is finished. You have to rip out that part of your Bible that says that God is not a man, that he should lie. Because man, he just lied. And this lie stinks. Tetelestai! It is finished, complete. Nothing remaining to be added. It is perfect. That's what Tetelestai meant. But alas, some accessories were missing. If salvation includes all these things, which it does, right? Go and check it. Google it. Go to Strong's. Go to Bible the Hub. Go to whatever lexicon. Go and check what soteria means. So when I scream soteria, I scream completion. That's why I live my life with the kind of conviction I live it with. I, when I say the man in Christ cannot be disadvantaged, this is what I mean. In him, I have a rescue. 
In him, I have safety. In him, my welfare is assured. In him, I have deliverance out of destruction and into safety. In him, I have deliverance from the pleasure of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, and, and the presence of the, the... I have all of that. I have salvation. I have prosperity. I have assurance. I have security. I cannot walk like a victim. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but I cannot be like an ordinary person. That's why we taught that series, he swapped it, the great exchange. You don't understand what Christ did. That's why we'll even argue in the first place. You don't understand the far-reaching consequence of the salvation that has appeared to all men. And then we have believed. So all men have it. Believers enjoy it. Did you hear what I said? All men have it. Believers enjoy it. Because the moment you say, I believe, it appropriates in your life. Activates in your life. To the measure that you believe. That is salvation. That's what you have. Now, of course, the fact that salvation is all of these things just buttresses the fact that salvation was necessary for all of mankind. Because who are we when sin is trapped us? Who are we when we are bound? What are we? Salvation is necessary for all of man. Why? Understanding this gospel. Why is salvation necessary for all of mankind? Why was salvation necessary for all of mankind? What necessitated salvation? What necessitated? Why did we need salvation? It's actually one word. It's a word that you all, you all are thinking about. It. You fell from grace. Yes, fell from grace. Three words. You see? You know it. Why was salvation necessary? Sin. Because we fell from grace. Yes. Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. Romans 5, 12. Is anybody getting anything already? You have salvation, no. There's somebody here that did not know what they had until now. I'm convinced about it. So the reason why we don't teach these things is one, because we don't know, and two, we feel like if you know, we cannot control you again. Because when you know that you have no need, who can manipulate you? Who can subjugate you when you know that you are, in, you are complete in Christ? You, and, and, and scripture is clear. You are complete in him who is the head of all principalities. and You are complete. Have you ever seen an abandoned project with God's name on it? The budget was not enough. Second Niger Bridge, Calabar Itu Road. They've not paid all the money. So they packed their things and left the site. He will not come and he will not come and claim the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the walls and all that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established. It. Shut up, God! If you can't finish the project, don't come and claim that everything is yours. You have no bragging rights. You are saying you formed all this universe. Come on, salvation! You cannot complete. So God is ah, that's a, no, 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 man! I can't complete this. You are complete. You need no man to complete you. 
Somebody reminded me of something and I've come to understand it and I'm okay with it. That somehow there's in my teaching, somehow marriage comes up. Why? And I explained to her that because marriage itself is the direct symbolism of Christ and the church. So here's another marriage illustration. Oh, he's my better half. She's my better half. So what? You are the worst half. There's a worst half and a better half. Oh, oh, so, because if you, all of you are half, half, none of you is complete. But you are complete in him. Not in a man. Or in a woman. Uh, I have found my missing rib. Go and do x-ray, brother. Go and do x-ray. Let me know if one rib is missing. All your ribs have always been there. See here, listen to me. Listen to me. We have a problem understanding the nature of God. If God took a rib of yours to make woman, then woman is fine. God could not have said it was very good. Because by the time he took out from you, he subtracted you. He made you with 12 ribs. He now took one out. To now make a woman with 12, you are now less. He cannot call you a finished project. So he left no rib missing. He appropriated substance. Doesn't mean he removed from you and reduced you to give another person. He just appropriated the substance of man and made woman. I'm missing rib. My missing rib. My missing rib. Go and do an x-ray. You are complete in him. I am complete in him. This is what you have. Salvation. No. You have salvation. So it was necessary. I said Romans 5, right? Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, right? And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Skip to verse 19. I'm just, I'm just, just putting pointers there. For 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience... Adam's, why is this thing so difficult? Why is it so difficult? God created one man as a prototype. You know prototype? When we're going to create a phone. For every phone that is manufactured, there is a particular prototype that is done. That prototype sets the mold. Do you understand? So as you're running the silicon or whatever material you're producing, that mold is just imp impressing like a 3D printer, impressing the exact same mold in multiple instances. Does that make sense? So it is important to get that prototype right because everything that comes off the assembly line will be a reflection of that prototype. Does that make sense? So in order to get 2 million phones, we need to first of all get the first one perfect. Because once the prototype is perfect, everything that comes off the assembly line is perfect. Once the, the prototype is flawed, everything that that prototype supplies is flawed. So God creates one man in his image. God did not create billions of people in his image. He creates one man prototype, Adam. Adam means mankind. Adam is not his name. Ha, Adam, means mankind, human race. That's Adam in the Hebrew. So it's out of Adam that we have Adam, the man, Ish, male, and then Eve, Isha, female. 
So you have male Adam, you have female Adam. Male man, female man. Male goat, female goat. Then you can now begin to differentiate them. He goat, she goat, bull, you know, cow, you know, boar for a, for a pig, right? Yeah, a, a soul. You start to differentiate male, female, like that. Male, female, but species. Are we following? So he made man prototype. The idea was that every man that this man therefore will produce would be of the exact same kind as the prototype. Do you understand? So Adam was just the prototype. Get Adam right. Everybody that Adam will produce is by default right. Adam would not have needed to give birth to a child and teach the child to be righteous. Just by the child being born, it will be righteous. Because the prototype that is giving birth to it is righteous. If we mix black chemical uh, or let's say gold chemical for for the back of this tablet, by the time you run it through the assembly line, it cannot come out black. And then we start have to teach it how to become gold. If we mixed the right pigmentation of colors and we got it right for the prototype, as we run it through that automatic sprayer, it is spraying the exact color combination that has been approved for the prototype. It's not going to come out black and then we start trying to polish it and trying to make it gold. Because the prototype is perfect, every product from the prototype is perfect. If the prototype is flawed, Every product from the prototype is flawed. If there's a slight dent in that prototype, by the time you pour the silicone and it forms the mold of the phone, there will be a dent there in every single phone that comes out. Do you understand? If the battery cover is not covering well for a particular phone, all the phones will not cover well. Except for the imitations, maybe. So, God did not create millions or billions of people in his image. He created one. All he needed to be right was one. God has never done business with everybody. Ever. He just needed to get one right. Because everything that that one produces would be right. There's no other way things are done. If you check a car factory, they have an assembly line. When it's time for tires, there's an assembly line for tires. When it's time for spray, they have an assembly line for spray. When it's time for interior fitting, they have an assembly line for interior fitting. It, they're not manufacturing every single one independent of the other. They cast a mold for something. Same thing with metal. They cast a mold, pour the liquid into it, it sets. They finish it and it goes. It, it's an assembly line thing. Get the one right, all the others will be right. He set Adam there. In his image... After his likeness, that's all God needed. One prototype. Satan took him and realized that's all he needed. Spoiled the one prototype. And he thought he was trying to spoil God's plan. Not knowing that it was God that set it up. For Satan to think that he can spoil what he thought he could spoil. This is the question you encounter all the time. If God knew that Adam will eat that fruit, sorry. If, why did he put the tree in the garden when he knew that Eve would come and eat it? When she was going to go and eat it, why did he not stop her 
from eating it. If he knew that serpent was going to, 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 to tempt her, why did he create the serpent? Okay, since he by mistake created the serpent, when he saw the serpent thinking about, why did he not kill the serpent? Or make an ego to chop the serpent? Why did he, why, why, why did he, why did he? It is all God. So one man sinned. And through the one man, sin entered the world because all sinned. All did not sin by sinning. Do you understand? We did not need to sin to become sinners. One man had a dent in his prototype. Everybody he began to give birth to from the assembly line. Sinner. Sinner. Oh, you say, ah, how can it be fair that we just all of us are born sinners? No, it's not fairness. It's just justice. It's just the way it is. The one that should produce many has been corrupted. So it's only natural. It's nothing special. It did not have to make everybody a sinner. The moment sin entered the prototype, every production of the prototype is flawed. So you don't have to sin to be a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. You didn't need to sin to become a sinner. It just so happened that because you are a sinner by arrival, you just sin the sin that you now came with. Follow come. So you sin the sin because that's how you are follow to come. Right? So now, God wants to save us. Because now we need salvation. Does that make sense? You now think God will start to chase billions of us around. Come, let me wash you. Come, where are you running to come back here? I have blood for you. Come, let me cleanse you. Come, let me save you. No, 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 no. God, this was all his game plan. This was all his game. So guess what he does? He abandons the flawed prototype. Are you hearing me? He closes the book on it. Comes and manufactures a fresh Adam. The second Adam. Who is the last Adam? And he manufactures this one. And again puts him in the cosmos. And says now, please me. The first one messed up. So every nonsense he has been producing. Is messed up. Here is a brand new prototype. Please me. The moment you please me, every product you produce has pleased me. That is salvation. Are you following me tonight? He's not chasing billions of people to please him. He's back to the same game plan. Introduce a brand new prototype. This time around, serpent cannot do anything. Serpent will still come because he still came. He still came. He still came. Still went and tempted Jesus. And left him, the Bible says, for a time. That means there were many other times he came back. Or else Jesus would not have said, the prince of this world comes. But finds nothing in me. Serpent still came. But this time around, 
This prototype was God. We ain't going to leave this one for man to try and mess up again. We ain't going to deal with no serpent. We're going to do this by ourselves. So God became flesh. All the law that you put was designed for one man to fulfill. Not for mankind. One man. And the man made the means meat of it. He kept it without even trying to keep it. <laughs> the Lord just realized that it had been kept. <laughs> Do you understand? Even when he looked like he was breaking the law, like Sabbath, he said, is the Sabbath made for man or man for Sabbath? Whichever one you're looking at, but the Lord is Lord of this Sabbath. Sabbath for man. You can be arguing, okay, yes, Sabbath is for man. Man is for Sabbath. Excuse me, hold up. What are the two things you're talking about? Sabbath and man? No, no. Lord, whether the Sabbath was made for man or man, me, I am Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> End of story. Man for Sabbath, Sabbath for man, man, Sabbath, Sabbath. Excuse you, excuse me, I am Lord of the Sabbath. If in doing stuff during the Sabbath, I say it is kept, Charlie, it is kept. Because I am Lord of it. And so he fulfilled the law. And just as through one man, Sin came into the world and death spread to all. In the same way, life came through one man. And through that one man, that life and that righteousness spread to all. Hey, if we did not do anything to be sinners because of Adam, we cannot do anything to be righteous because of Jesus. At least I've tried to reason with you step by step so far. So you can see that I'm not just throwing something at you. It's scripture. For us to participate in our salvation and to participate in our righteousness, it means that we actively participated in our sinfulness. But we didn't. We were not there. Adam just sinned and then gave birth to sinners. We were not also there. Jesus just became righteous and gave birth to righteous men. For you have been born not of corruptible seed, Adam. Do you understand? But of incorruptible seed, Christ, as through the word of God. That is salvation. It, it has or includes zero human participation. Zero human participation. You, you have no part to play. How can you have a part to play? How can you justify it? How can you justify it? How can it, make, how can it ever make any form of sense? That you must participate in your salvation when you not participate in your corruption. If you, are, if you are an active participant of your birth, the moment your head was coming out and you noticed it was not in the private ward of a hospital in America, you just go to... So the fact that you were born where you were born, how you were born and when you were born, is a testament to the fact that you did not participate in your given birth. Now, so if we agree that this is a medically certified fact, that you cannot claim any credit for participation in your delivery, why do you feel that you can claim credit for, your, for participation in your delivery? It's delivery. That's why it is called being born Again now, think about it. It's delivery. It's second delivery. So it is malicious 
to submit on any count that a person participated in his salvation. If you cannot submit that the person actively participated in his corruption or in his natural birth. So Christ became for me salvation. I am never ever trying to impress God because my prototype stands perfect. Do you understand? If I am out of line, look at me carefully. If I'm out of line, it is Jesus that God will hold. How can you successfully be flawed when Jesus is perfect? Jesus, come, what went wrong? Salvation is entirely an act of God. Entirely. That is why it is his duty to keep me. So now my mother gives birth to me and I have to beg her to feed me. Or as soon as she gave birth to me, she said, my friend, go and look after yourself. And even if she ever said, go and look after yourself, excuse me, that was factored in the plan. How do we know that? Can a woman forsake her suckling child? Hey, hey, hey. Even if she's crazy enough to me, I will not forsake you. That's the assurance we have. That's salvation. That's soteria. This salvation has appeared to all men, is brought about by grace alone. Those scriptures we started reading, 2 Timothy 1, Titus 2, Titus 3, Titus 2, 11, Titus 3, 4 to 7, Acts chapter 15 and verse 11. Hear what the apostle is saying. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. How are we saved? But we believe that. So what is that manner? Grace. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You are not saved by faith. God did not, does not require faith to save you. No man is saved. If there is salvation, it is by grace. Faith does not save anyone. Grace is what saves. Ephesians 2 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You are not saved by faith. Faith enables you or quickens you to appropriate that which grace has given you. Hmm? That is what believing is. Do you understand? Your believing is not what saves you. Your believing is what activates or appropriates the benefits of salvation in your life. Hmm? And even that believing, you could not generate it by yourself. It was still generated and given to you for you to now apply. The applying of your faith. Who did it? The generating of your faith. Who did it? And gave you. By the time you opened your mouth and said you believe, who did it? Who said you believe? Is it the Holy Spirit? Who said I believe? Who said I have faith? It's not, is that not participation? We generated faith, Godhead. We gave you faith. You now received the faith. You didn't even know you had received it. You now said, you said, I believe. You said, I believe. You have put your own inside. And so as little as that thing is, uncle, it is works. 
Romans 11 verse 6. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So the moment you introduce faith in the purchasing of salvation, you introduced works. How were you saved? Whose grace? What did you do to make that grace come and appear? That's how you know you're saved. Faith just enabled you to now activate in your life what grace already did when you did not know what grace was. Romans 5.8 But God commended his love towards us in this manner that while we were still sinners, grace is exclusively an expression of God. Faith is believing, no? Faith is believing, right? Is it when you believe that Jesus died for you? Was it when you believed that he went to the cross? So is your faith a factor in salvation? If you needed to believe that he can save, then he will not have died yet. He did not need you to believe that he can save. He did not even need you to believe that he has saved. He saved you. So your believing or not believing does not alter the salvation of mankind. To reduce salvation to my faith is to imply that he did not die for me particularly until I believed. So the moment I believe, he will now go and die for me. Because now I have believed that he can save. No. Grace is an outworking of God. He chose to save you when you did not deserve saving or even know that you needed saving. How much more believe that he has saved you. That's why Paul writes in Romans, the whole argument of Romans is the salvation of Israel even though they reject it. Romans 9, 10, 11. Is it, they, are, they are saved. You, you have just been grafted, you know, just enjoying what is Israel's. They believe not till today. But they are saved. So no man is saved by faith. That will be it, your participation included. You are saved by grace. And then you take it by faith. Do you understand? You are saved by grace and you appropriate it by faith. So the difference between somebody who is walking in the reality of their deliverance as part of their salvation package and somebody who is not is the fact that both were saved, one believes. Does that make sense? So to the one that believes, he's delivered. The one that doesn't believe, he's delivered. But he doesn't believe. So demons know that he doesn't believe. And they continue to mess with him. It's not God's problem. He doesn't need a prophet. He doesn't need any prayer. He needs his eyes to be open. The moment his eyes are open, the demons can't do nothing. They only pray on ignorance. That's why we don't preach these things in church. Because once you realize that you don't have any problem, you will not need pastor and bishop and reverend and prophet. And that's bad business for them. Oh, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's time. We have looked at salvation, right? You understand what salvation is? 
you understand why we needed salvation. And you understand now that salvation is by grace. Appropriated through faith. But God did not need any human participation. Just saved. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He did not wait for your approval to die. He didn't wait for you to realize you needed saving. And okay, now, oh, they now realize that they need Jesus. Now that they realize they need Jesus, I'm going to go die for them. Mm -mm. Before you even knew that you were lost, to even realize that you can be found, he had died. When did this salvation appear? According to 2 Timothy, when we started, before time began. Where was your faith when time began? Where were you to believe when the lamb was slain at the foundation of the world? Now, if your faith, what they call saving faith, hmm, is not a requirement for you to be saved, how can it be a requirement for you to be preserved? He saved you without any recourse to you at all. Now that he has saved you, he now needs you to participate and be warming your salvation so you will not spoil. How can you be saved? It is deadly. It is evil. It is witchcraft. It is antichrist for you to not have the joy of salvation when David tasted it before the cross. If he had not tasted it, he would not have prayed. Restore unto me the joy. Ah! David tasted the joy of salvation and you after the cross son of God cannot have the joy of salvation something is wrong an enemy has done this an enemy has done this so most people that are boasting have been in the Lord for 10 years in the crux of their heart they have not yet settled into the joy of salvation they're not certain they're not certain if they are saved they're not certain how saved they are. They're not certain for how long the salvation is and to what extent can it be maintained before it goes bad. How bad can it go that I've missed heaven? How far can I go that I am now falling from grace or drifted from grace? There's no joy of salvation. And if there's no joy of salvation, everything you are doing is a lie. You are serving in church. You are a deacon. You are a pastor. You are a reverend. You are a worship leader. You are an usher. You are a minister. Whatever it is you are doing. You are just being a servant. You have not come into sonship. And Jesus did not die for servants. Jesus did not die for servants. He died for sons. It was fitting for him God. In bringing many sons into glory. Hebrews 2.10, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He's the captain of our salvation. He brought sons into glory. He didn't die to make servants. There's no pride in being a servant of God. You don't need to be a Christian to be a servant of God. Cyrus was an ungodly king and he was a servant of God. And he served God well and finished the entire counsel of God. And he was not a believer, yet he was a bona fide servant of God. God did not convert Cyrus to use him. 
God did not say Cyrus, I, I, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has failed, Be- Belshazzar has failed, Darius has failed. You know what? I, but my counsel has to come for Israel. And but these guys are not godly kings. I, I need you to repent. Send Nathan to him. Send Isaiah to him to preach the gospel to Cyrus so that he can repent and I can use him. God bypassed Cyrus and used him. And it was Cyrus that fulfilled the prophecy over Israel in exile that so-called godly kings could not. There's no record of Cyrus repenting. And yet he was a faithful servant of God. You don't need the cross to have servants. But it takes the cross to make sons. There's no pride in being a servant of God. No pride. But sons, now are we sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. Now. It's entirely God's making. Entirely. So, two things. One, if faith was not required to save me, then how come faith is required to keep me? If faith is required to keep me, it throws up a few questions. One, it reintroduces works in the perfecting of my righteousness, which is a problem. Two, it also suggests that the work of God is finished. So now I am now continuing from where God stopped. But you will see how this salvation that is finished is not finished. So if it's not finished, and he didn't need my faith to start it, does he need my faith to finish it? If it's finished and I'm continuing from where he stopped, that's a problem. If it's not finished, and we know that he's not a God of abandoned projects, and he's not letting me to fund this one by myself, then we have a problem. We need to look at what God we're serving. But is my salvation over? Or is my salvation coming? We are struggling with salvation because we can't see the big picture. We can't see that salvation At the cross from sin is complete. Presentation before the father at the end of the ages is the completion of salvation. Salvation is still in progress until Jesus shows me to the father. It does not yet appear what we shall look like, but we we see him. So when Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you, from falling is reminding you that hold up you are saved yes but hold up you are being saved and you shall be saved the problem is we think salvation is the cross is finished Romans 10 9 and 10 but that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved who, who is Paul talking to Romans is written to believers so which salvation is he talking about For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto which salvation? From sin? How can it be from sin if he's writing to believers? How can the Holy Spirit be said to have sealed you for the day of salvation or the day of redemption? So we are saved, it's complete, but it's not complete, it's still loading. Then, now, loading. The moment that concept of soteria, then, before time began, appeared, now, in time, revealed, then, Coming, loading. Your assurance takes on a whole meaning. I did not send Jesus. I did not send God. Did you send him? Did you wake up and decide I'm going to be a sinner? No. Did you send the first Adam? 
Did you send the second Adam? He looked at you. He fell in love with you. Did you toast him? Did you smush him? Did you send him a text to say, I like you. Like me back. Entirely of his own making. He got up and said, you know what? The plan has never been to have one son. So now I'm going to give this one son that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. So I, what participation did you have? God sat down and said, one son is not enough. I need more. And I'm going to give this one that he might be the firstborn of many. What is my own inside? Then he now saves me, regenerates me, and then leaves me to finish what he started. What kind of unjust, unfair God is that? Did I ask to be saved? Did I say I'm interested? You saved me of your own making, entirely of your own making. By grace, you sat down and fell in love with me when I was only in your head. I was only in your mind. Because it was Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. You fell in love with a mental version of me. You fell in love with a visionary version of me. Then you now gave birth to me out of incorruptible seed and leave me on my own. I refuse. That's how you know you're saved. It's not your business. He started it. He's duty bound to finish it. Oh, you didn't have to die. But no, 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 no. He had to die. He sat down there and just talked about it. Before time, before time began. They planned it out like a game of chess. Now come and tell me, Jesus did not, he did not have to die. No, sir. He had to die. My life was on the line. My life was on the line. My predestination was on the line. So God now saves me. And he knew that he cannot keep me. And he saved me. Why? Saved me to, for who to keep? For me to keep. Oh, I'm strong enough to keep my salvation. But I could not save myself. My grace. Are you saved? And that salvation is not complete. Still loading. Oh, you are saved from sin. That is complete. You are perfect. That is complete. Your sanctification on the earth is ongoing. But there is a presentation ceremony. You finished university six years ago. You have not done convocation. The thing is still worrying you. Talk to me, somebody. There's a closure that convocation brings. There's a closure that wearing your gown and holding your wrapped scroll that lets you know that I finished university six years ago, but now I am a graduate. It's not when you finish writing an exam. It's when the university says we have released you to go. Until the school calls you back and gives you your certificate, and announces you, presents you to the VC, to the Senate, to the special guest of honor, to all the patrons of the university, to all the grant awarding bodies and say, listen, we have these guys have successfully finished their course, we have accredited them, and we're ready to present them as graduates. Until then, you are not a graduate. That's why if they tell you to bring convocation fees, you will pay. Be not because you like to pay, but because you are still a student until they say so. So you are saved. You have finished school. You have graduated. You have finished all your exams. You know that you have met all the requirements in Christ. You have met all the requirements. Your sins are forgiven. Everything is renewed. You have redemption. You have justification. You have righteousness. You have holiness. You have perfection. You have that, but there is a convocation ceremony. And you cannot convoke yourself. You cannot say, I will organize my own graduation ceremony. I will wear my own gown. I will print my own scroll and my own certificate and discharge myself from school. You cannot do that. We can give you your grades, but if you have not said you have graduated, you have not graduated. And until you get to your convocation where you are presented, you are not a graduate. Until Jesus submits you to the Father 
your salvation is not complete. Until Jesus carries you, dresses you up, puts the cap of your of crown of righteousness on your head, clothes you and says, come now. Let me present you to the person that has facilitated all I've done for you. Vice Chancellor, Pro Chancellor, Senate, Board of Governors, His Excellency the Governor, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, over the past years, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, this is the project I have been working on. I have trained him in righteousness. I have trained him in holiness. I have trained him in character. He didn't do so well here and there, but I covered for him. And now, I present to you, having fulfilled all the requirements for this course, I therefore now present to you the class. Jesus hands me over to the Father. Mortality takes on immortality. Until then, Jesus is duty bound to finish this project. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.